Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. On this episode, we talk with Michael Vega-Sands, who's the co-founder and president of Lula, a peer-to-peer car sharing platform that's initially focusing on college students. Michael saw that not having a car while at school was a major problem. The current methods of traveling off campus were flawed, so alongside his brother and co-founder, Matthew, they built Lula by capitalizing on all the idle cars around them. Lula officially launched on September 1st on 50-plus campuses across the country, has raised over $600,000 in seed funding, and eventually plans to include many different forms of transportation to fully transform how we think of getting around. Here it goes. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, we're here today with Michael Vega-Sands, who is the uh, co-founder and president of Lula Rides. And Lula is a peer-to-peer car sharing platform for college students. Um, so Michael, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what Lula does. Um, why you started it, and uh, kind of where you guys are right now. And a quick gist, and we'll, we'll dive into that uh, in a little bit as well. Yeah, thank you so much. So like Ben said, my name is Michael Vegasans. I'm, I'm a co-founder and president of Lula. Lula started, we first had the idea for Lula about two years ago. We were college students at Babson, and we didn't have a car on campus. And there was one night in particular where we wanted, we desperately wanted pizza. And we wanted it from a home favorite, Papa John's Pizza. But we had no way to get it because when we called, they said they didn't deliver to Babson. And so we looked at Uber and the Uber was crazy expensive to go get the pizza. And, and we said, you know what, we're just going to order Domino's. So we ended up ordering Domino's. And so when the pizza delivery guy comes to, the, comes to our dorm room and I walk outside and I see that there's a huge parking lot full of cars owned by students and none of them are being used. I said to myself, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could have rented one of those cars out? and gone and picked up the pizza. At the same time, a few days later, one of my friends, it turns out, was, was lending his car out to the exchange student. So he'd actually rent his car out, and he made $100 in a two-day span. And he did absolutely nothing during those two days. He stayed in his dorm room. So I said, wait, there needs to be a way to legitimize this platform or this process, allowing people like myself to get a car when you need one, and allowing students like my friend that had a car to make money passively. And so we, we had that idea. We threw, it into a, we threw it into a business competition that was going on at Babson. And we were somewhat arrogant to believe that we would be able to win the competition. We ended up losing. I think out of all the teams that came out and, and that went to the semifinals, we were the last place team. But during that, during that business challenge, we ended up getting such positive, positive feedback from potential customers and users and professors and faculty, staff, students, everybody. And we said, okay, you know what? We might have something here. Let's start digging further. And we started conducting market research. We started sending out surveys to our friends. We started sending out surveys to random people to see if this would be something that they would use and if there was a viable business opportunity. Most of the responses were, yes, we'd use it, or yes, this is somewhat interesting. We, we'd consider it. And then at that point, Matthew and I had, had internships that we had to consider summer was nearing and, and one of Matthew's teachers had, had gotten him an opportunity at JP Morgan. Meanwhile, I had an opportunity in New York for a real estate firm. And we said, you know what? We feel so strongly about this idea that we're not going to take the internships. We're going to forego them and we're going to stay and work on this. 
So we ended up working on it that summer and we had no idea what we, what, what we wanted to do or how to do it. So we knew we had this idea. We knew we needed to get insurance. We knew we had to build out the app. We had never started a business before. We had never created an executive summary, a business plan, all that. We had in like a, one of my classes, but we really had never done it ourselves independently without the, over to, without the overview of a teacher. So we'd literally spent that summer just on YouTube and on Google, reading, reading blogs and articles and watching YouTube videos just to figure out how the heck can we start a company. And so little by little, we, were, we, we, we progressed and we created our business plan. We got our business model. We figured out how we were going to build the app and the website. We got all those components together, and uh, and we really worked on that for about a year. Fast forward a year later, we ended up getting we ended up getting an insurance company that said they'd work with us. We ended up getting building out the app and stuff like that. An MVP. It was it was truly a minimum viable product. It was the ugliest app you've ever seen in your life, but we got it built, and it was able to function. It was barely functioning, but it was able to function. And finally, I know this, I know it, it seems like it's been forever, but finally, after quite a while in February of 2018, we ran our first pilot and we launched and we did that on a few campuses here in the Boston area. The, the numbers weren't spectacular by any means, but they were good enough to prove the concept. And during that time, we started getting some traction. So we were on during that school year, we had been featured on NBC. Bostino, just a bunch of different websites and magazines and even television stations. And at that time, we started to get interest from investors, legitimate interest from investors. Yeah. And we so, got, wait, Mike, Michael, if, yeah. uh, if you don't mind, could I actually quickly just stop you right there? So yeah. I know um, it's, a, it's a ton of stuff that happened, and I want to kind yeah. of dive into a little bit more of the early stage and then circle back to where okay. you guys are right now, since I know all the stuff with investments and the launch is super recent. But I kind of want to drill down on a couple of things you said. So you said when you first thought of this idea, you were, you know, at your campus, uh, you had an issue where you, you wanted a car, you and your brother, you know, didn't have a car. Um, and you saw this parking lot full of, you know, full of vehicles that were just idle and not being used. Um, and I kind of, you know, want to explore that. So there, you know, everyone knows there are tons of car sharing, car rental companies out there. Mm -hmm. You have Rent-A-Car, you have Zipcar. You have uh, platforms like Uber that are super popular. So what made you say, you know, instead of renting a car or on one of these already existing platforms or just using something like an Uber, why, why did you think that this needed to be in existence um, and that this was like the missing piece that college students primarily and, and I'm sure people all over would need? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The most basic reason why we didn't think a Zipcar all right, so we, we knew about, obviously, we were familiar with Lyft and Uber. We were huge users of that. What we ended up thinking of was that there was this issue that we termed the commuter's dilemma, in which transportation can be broken up into three different components. You have transportation that's affordable, you have transportation that's convenient, and you have transportation that's sustainable. And so we started breaking up these different, these different services into these categories. And what we found was, Uber and Lyft, definitely, definitely convenient, but are they affordable to the everyday person? Are they affordable to you and I, which are college students? And the general consensus from what we ran and, and just my general thoughts was that it was not affordable. I can't afford to be using an Uber or Lyft every day. For sure. So that, so that was one of the reasons. 
So we kind of we kind of put that to the side. Then we looked at Zipcar. Is Zipcar affordable? Is it convenient? Perhaps. But one of the issues that we ran that we ran into while we were students at Babson was that Zipcar's supply on campus was somewhat limited. And so now you're paying monthly fees, sign-up fees, you're paying just different fees. And uh, and that doesn't guarantee you access to a car. So on Babson's campus, we had four zip cars. And on the weekend, typically those were being rented out. And so there was a huge problem on campus where people would actually have to go to one of the nearby zip car stations or would actually have to Uber there if they wanted to get yeah. a zip car. <laughs> it's kind of redundant. So we said, yeah, so we said, you know what? These These services are great if you have access to them, but not everybody has access to them. How can we create a platform that's, that makes these forms of transportation more accessible to the everyday person? And so that's really what we thought. And we thought, you know what, if we can create and build out a platform like Lula that provides the user with more options, more variability, then, then we're on to something. And so that's really been our goal. Um, and and so we, we do want to compete with Uber and the Lyfts in terms of like pricing and convenience and, and all that. And that's something that we've strived for. So if you look at the if you look at the prices on Lula, typically by the hourly rate, they're com they're comparable to Zipcar. And I'm just using Zipcar because that's one of our closest competitors. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from the daily rate, that's really where we beat them in, in terms of price. So a Zipcar for the day goes for $80. We start at $30 a day. Typically, you'll see forty to fifty dollars a day on our platform, and so we do have a cost. There is a cost benefit to Lula, and that's one of our advantages. Gotcha. Uh, so that totally makes sense. Um, I, you know, coming from a campus like UMass, where there are thousands mm -hmm. of students, uh, there were, you know, there were zip cars. I think we had. I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I think it was like somewhere between like six and ten zip cars available. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a car on campus. You know, coming from New York, never really drove much, but there were so many idle cars and parking lots. Just you know covering we had like 20 or 30 parking lots at umass um people just had their cars sitting there all day uh, and it, it, this is something that you know is, is definitely helpful and definitely makes sense once you kind of take a step back and look at um mm -hmm. one thing i want to kind of talk about is that a unique factor of of what lula does is that it's a it's actually a marketplace um where from from what i understand you have um people who are looking to you know, rent a car or, you know, ride a mm -hmm. car and then people who are offering their cars. Um, and one of the interesting things I think is that, you know, the person who has the car can decide what rate they want to charge. Yeah. So I think two things I, I have a question about is one, you know, how do you build this marketplace? You know, everyone knows that when you're starting a two-sided marketplace, there's the chicken and the egg problem where, mm -hmm. you know, both sides only want to join once the other side is there. So how do you, you know, efficiently build this to the point where both sides are, you know, getting value at the same time, you know, which side did you focus on first? And also in terms of having people decide their own rate, you know, how did you guys decide to to do that? And what have you seen as kind of the results of, of doing that so far? Yeah. In terms of the, the chicken and the egg problem at first, and this was now hindsight's 2020, we went, we attacked both sides of the market at the same time. Now we attack about 65 to 70% of our marketing goes towards the car owner. So okay. we really do, we do, we really do put a focus on the car owner. Why? Because we want to make sure that we have that inventory. So when somebody goes on the platform, they have access to the cars. So we typically market more a bit towards the car owners, especially when we're trying to get into a new area or a new market. We go after them much heavier. One of the things that one of the ways that we do this 
is the fact that, and this was a huge struggle for us in the early days because the insurance policy was kind of crappy. But we've gotten a new insurance. It was awful, but it was it was good enough to the sense that it allowed us to launch, but it was bad enough. It was bad to the point where people still didn't feel comfortable putting their car up. So now when we speak to car owners, what do we offer them? We have to we have to make our value proposition very enticing. And our value proposition is you can earn X amount of money per month. And we say typically you can earn about eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month if you take if you if you take this serious. And that's really passive income. So it allows you to study, it allows you to hang out with friends, party, do whatever it is that you want yeah, to do. It's more than your and car you're earning money usually. Passive. Yeah, exactly. So we really, we really do put a strong point on that value proposition. And then you have the counter argument, okay, what happens if you have, if my car gets crashed? And so we actually work with the same insurance company that Airbnb and Lyft work with, which allows that, wow. which offers a $1 million insurance policy on all rentals. So now, you know, if your car is getting rented through Lula, there's a $1 million insurance policy backing it. And so those are really some of the things that we do to get the, the car owners right now. I think because we're so new and we're kind of a, we're kind of a cool startup. We're like that flashy light in the room right now, uh, just because we're so new. There's still a lot of people interested in what we're doing, and so it's been relatively, it's been easier to get the car owners than one would think. In the sense of, we're getting them pretty quickly. We're growing at a pretty quick rate. Um, so that's from that side. In terms of the car renters, people that are renting the cars and that need a car, the way that we do that is our value proposition is. Look, we offer you guys affordability, convenience, and then there's a sustainable aspect to it, but it's more affordability and convenient in the sense that the value proposition that we're telling you is you guys have affordable, you guys have options to affordable transportation, convenient transportation, and it starts at $5 an hour. There's no sign up fees. There's no membership fees. And that's pretty enticing. We've been able to get users quite rapidly just off that marketing campaign that we've been doing. And so, like I said, we put most of the focus is on the car owners because that's more difficult to get on the car renters. We still do advertise and we still do market, but that's minimal. And we, we basically exclaim our value proposition. Gotcha. A uh, quick question would be in yeah. terms of the rider actually getting the key uh, to then take the car. How is that playing out right now? Is it just, they kind of meet up with the owner, they hand them off the key. Um, and if, if that's the case, then what, what do you plan on um, that being like in the future? If there is another plan, um, because I know yeah. like companies like Zipcar kind of make it, you know, there there are ways to use an app to to unlock a car and and things like that to make it a little bit more easy, a little bit easier for uh, for consumers to actually, you know, get a ride uh, instead of meeting up with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Right now we do the the key exchange in which if I'm renting your car out, I have to go meet you and get the keys. There's some pros and cons to that. There's and there's been some limitations in which. We do want to move to we do want to move eventually to the to a system in which there's an automated lockbox on the car, and so you can kind of just go and access that lockbox, mm-hmm. um, and then you have the key. Right now, we just do that. There's and then and so we have gotten some complaints in the sense that people people do wish there was an easier way to get the key sometimes. So that just being transparent, that is an issue, and that's somewhere that that we definitely do want to improve on. So one of the things that we've been working on is a system to kind of in which you put on the car and um, this is our, this is actually our IP. This is one of the, uh, the cool things that we have. It's uh, it's basically like a lockbox that goes on the vehicle 
you st- it stores the keys when I rent your car. It actually grants me access for the two or three hours that I'm renting your car out. Nice. And there, there, therefore, you and I don't need to meet. Yeah. Cool. And would that be something kind of just attached to the car, or like maybe like on the hood? Or- yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's really cool. And to kind of jump back a little bit into what you were talking about before. So I know that you guys actually raised a bit of money, $620,000 in May, a little, a couple months ago. Can you talk a little bit about how that process went? Um, what, from one standpoint, you know, how the money actually is helping. And then the other uh, standpoint would be raising money as a, as a student. How did that go? You know, what were the pros and cons of being an undergrad while you're actually going out there and, and trying to raise money from serious investors? Yeah, the... So, so first things first, I often get questions about, again, how, how, how is it that you raise capital? What's the process? Like the most basic thing and the most important component to raising capital is you need to have traction. You need to have a viable business product, viable business. And so for us, it was very, very difficult for us to even get the attention of investors until we had a built out application, until we had insurance until we already had some users on different campuses. Once we did that, then things got a bit, bit easier. And we started getting featured in magazines and on websites, on NBC, on TV. Once you start adding all those components, the company starts to, in the eyes of investors and the consumers, it starts to become more of a legitimate company. Once we started to do that, then we really, the conversations with the investors started to get a bit more serious. And it got to the point where we actually had several million dollars in offers sitting on the table. Um, and okay, we were wow. able to kind of pick and choose who we wanted the money from. So ultimately, we wanted the money from strategic investors. And although it wasn't as much money as we could have gotten, we wanted money from strategic investors that would have, that, that have the ability to jump into the next round of funding. So basically they gave us milestones right now. They said, we'd like you to hit these triggers the next round of funding and we'll follow in on that. And so that was one of the things that really made us more, really made us kind of choose that strategic money. In terms of how is it at undergrad or how is it just from the entrepreneur's perspective? Truthfully, I would never think about, after going through that experience, I would never think about raising capital unless I absolutely had to and there was no other way to do it. <laughs> if you're not in a cap, if you're, it's serious. If you're not in a capital intensive industry, Lula is in a very capital intensive industry, meaning you need to have a lot of capital. You need to cash quickly in order to reach critical mass. What I see so often is young kids or just people in general say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm creating this product. I want to go raise capital. And I'm looking at them and saying, Hey, you don't need to raise capital. And if you knew what it took to raise capital, you wouldn't want to. You're giving away a piece of your company. It's not allowing you to focus on the company. And so as a as an undergrad, for us, it was very, very difficult to the point that we ended up having to take a leave of absence from school because it was too much on our plate. By the time we ended up getting the money from the investors, we actually left school entirely because at that point, the investors said, look, we're giving you all this money. We'd like for you guys to be able to focus on this full time. So we said, OK, and we ended up leaving school entirely. And uh, it was a very difficult de- decision that it was. But ultimately, we felt so strongly about the idea. We felt so passionate. We had some great, great investors that uh, that it really gave us kind of the confidence and and really give confidence to our parents. And, and just what was happening, that's finally when they, they said, okay, you guys can go. Gotcha. Wow. So, I mean, 
raising that much money as, as a student is, is pretty crazy. And then also having to essentially choose between school and your business is, you know, equally as uh, it's, it's definitely a tough decision, you know. Um, but, it, but if you believe something so strongly, you just gotta, you just gotta go for it, which is what you guys did, which is awesome to see. Uh, and, and I want to, you know, talk a little bit about one of the things you mentioned. You said, you know, raising money is hard and, you know, yeah, everyone, no one realizes like how hard it is. I, I know I read one of your pieces on, on how you guys raise money and you, you know, the first, um, you know, pretty much everyone you talked to at first, it was 20 something people all shot you down. You yeah. know, you're hearing no's constantly. It's not a fun time. You're really, you know, going out there, putting yourself out there, people are telling you, no, 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 you start to feel like your idea maybe isn't, isn't that important, isn't that good. And then it's really hard to, you know, absorb that and, and to know that, you know, just because someone doesn't want to give you money doesn't mean that your idea isn't potentially successful, It just might not be the right fit for, for that particular investor. And, and, and it's definitely raising money should be, you know, not the, the means to the end, it should be the, uh, it should not be the ends to the mean, it should be the means to the end, you know, raising money should never be your goal. Uh, it should be something that helps you get to your goal. And I want to ask you, like, what were some of your uh, strategic investors, and what kinds of, you know, what kind of help are they providing you now um, that make them so strategic and 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 integral into why you chose them over maybe larger sums of money? Okay, yeah. The so right off the bat, when you start having conversation with investors, you need to start looking at it almost as a team. So who can I work with? Who do I like? Who has, who's going to push me? Who has similar views as to where I want the company to go? Right off the bat, we were kind of able to X a few people because they had an entirely different vision for the company than we did. And there would have been much, much too much conflict on the, within, between us. Great people, but we just didn't see eye to eye on where the company should go. So that was right off the bat. In terms of personality and all that, the, there's some people right off the bat that you can kind of tell won't be good fits for you and how they treated other people. And we didn't want that. So what we ended up doing was we had some really cool opportunities. And one of our, one of our strategic investors is actually Dan Macklin. He's a co-founder of SoFi. That is somebody that he had experience. So if you're not familiar with SoFi, they're, they're, they're a refinancing company for student loans. So this was a guy, he started, he started SoFi in 2011. They focused on the college campuses. They built this. They built this business from the ground up. In within six years, they had an acquisition offer for almost ten billion dollars. So huge, crazy wow, company. Huge. And uh, yeah, and so he was. He's actually one. Of, he's an investor and and an advisor for us right now. Um, so why did we choose him? Great person, amazing person. He knows this. He knows this demographic and this target market very, very well. The college, the college market was one that it, he built his business on. So th that's an example of why we we went with them. So that in terms of the the actual firm that led our own, the in terms of the people behind that firm, amazing, amazing, amazing people. Technology was like oh, we're doing his company's public on the New York Stock Exchange, and they really, really believed in us. They really, they really loved the idea. They they really liked their vision, and so. That was kind of the firm that led around. Then we had Dan Macklin, co-founder of SoFi, and then we had some small angel investors in the in the Boston and Miami area that just believed in the long-term vision of the company and where we were taking it. And we thought, okay, this is a great team. They provide us great access to, to resources and capital that aren't that that isn't just money. So I think an important thing to touch up on is when you're looking for investors and when you're talking to investors, what can they offer you besides money? Because money is great. 
but it gets to a point where you're not going to know what to do. And if you can have some people to lean on and some people to help guide you, that's going to make a huge, huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, you know, that's super great advice for anyone out there who's listening. And, and it's really cool to see you're, you're utilizing, you know, strategic partners effectively and really getting people on board who understand this business and, and what you guys are doing in your mission. Um, and, and I know you guys had a huge launch, you know, right at the beginning of September. We're about a month in and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you launched Lula at 50 college campuses all across the country and, and why those campuses and also, what you're seeing from from that launch right now and, and how things are going at Luna in general. Oh, okay. Things got a bit crazy with we didn't expect it to grow as quickly as it as it grew. So I'll give you an example. Within the first few weeks we hit over fifteen thousand registered users, thousand cars. We had cars over hundred and fifty campuses. And what we really did, the secret sauce there was we did things unconventionally. In the sense that when most people launch, they typically think, okay, let's, let's create the product. Let's create the service. Let's build out. Once we have that, let's begin the marketing. Whereas we said, you know what? And this is going back to the summer a bit before September 1st. When we didn't have the full app ready, already we started to market it. And already we started to test out where the traction channels that were more effective, most effective were. So we started playing around with different traction. So there's social media. There's blogs, there's Google AdWords, there's SEO. There's a bunch of these different tracking channels, and we were trying to just test them out and see which ones were most effective, which ones gave us the greatest ROI. Um, and so we that's basically what we did. We started just testing that and testing that and testing that. And what we found for us was that Instagram ads and Instagram marketing was by far the most effective. And so... What we did there was um was we really just pushed that. So September 1st came, we really just pushed out the Instagram ads and Instagram marketing and just doing all that. And little by little, the company started to grow. And then we had a referral program. And like I said, we ended up hitting, we ended up getting, accumulating 15,000 users relatively quickly within the first few days. We ended up getting about a thousand cars wow. on campus. We hit top 100 on the app store. And uh, and things just started to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it got to the point where, where we actually had to slow down our marketing because we, we realized that the customer experience wasn't where we wanted it to be. So although we were getting amazing numbers and we were getting a bunch of rentals and a bunch of trips created and all that, we weren't where we wanted in terms of the, the customer experience. So we actually pulled the marketing and slowed down our growth efforts so that we could put more focus on the customer experience and put more focus on how do we improve it and how do we improve the product and the service. Uh, so that's that's where we're at right now. We have these great numbers, these great metrics. We're getting, we, we continue to grow at a pretty quick pace. But right now we're focusing on that customer experience and how do we do that. And, um, and I'd say one of the reasons that we grew so quickly was because we did that, because we, did, we tested those traction channels out before we launched, and by the time we launched, we knew which channels were most effective and which ones we should really exploit more heavily. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what you said there is, I, I think, so critical um, because, you know, a lot of people just build something and assume that it will work in, in one location because it works somewhere else or because it worked, you know, in, in this kind of model, but, but really going and finding where the interest is 
understanding exactly what kind of customers you're going to be dealing with, I think is so critical. And with tools like, you know, with Instagram, everyone is on Instagram, you know, everyone our age, you know, the young millennials, Gen Z, whatever, uh, is on Instagram, you know, it's, it's how Facebook was, um, you know, a few years ago, and, and Facebook owns Instagram, of course, so it's just part of that larger network. So I think tools like that are super important, just understanding analytics, and knowing where your customers are, it's so much more efficient than shooting in the dark, hoping to to hit someone. Um, and and that's awesome to hear. I, I want to ask a little bit more, like what are the specifics that you're going to be focusing on when it comes to improving the customer experience um, from from both sides of of the the marketplace? Yeah. So right off the bat, in terms of the people that need a car, the biggest issue for them is when they press rent, the car our owners are not being as responsive as they should be. Whereas I'm trying to rent your car, but you are you are not being responsive. So you're receiving the notifications and you're ignoring them or you're just not accepting my request or you're just not denying it. Quite a bit of customers are unhappy at the fact that when they press rent, they're still not getting a car. Gotcha. Is there some kind of time limit? All right. So let's say you're renting my car or I'm trying to rent your car at, at nine o'clock. You have until 30 minutes before the rental to accept. There is a limit. We do ask that typically you're able to rent the car, that if you're going to rent a car, you typically have an hour beforehand at least or more. But yeah, so that's the biggest issue to it. How do we combat that? We're really, really excited. We're going to be launching a new feature on the on the app, which rather than just making a request to a single person, your request goes to everybody in a certain radius. And the first person to respond to you, you get you, you ideally get their car. Um so similar to Uber yeah, and all the exactly. ride-sharing platforms. So we're doing that. We're adding customer service reps so that customer service reps can actually work with you to find a car and get a car, and they can kind of act as a mediator between you and the car owner. So they're kind of the, some of the big things that we're doing in terms of the car rent, or in terms of the car owners. What can we do to improve that process for them? Give them more support, and we want to change the payment system. So we'd like to make the payments instantly as soon as the rental is completed. Right now, the payment process can kind of take some time super cool so um you know that's definitely great to hear and i know we spoke a little bit about this earlier uh but let's let's take a macro look at the whole um kind of sharing economy model uh where where do you see lula in the next few years mm-hmm. uh, i know you were trying to expand into into some other verticals um can you talk a little bit about that and then also mention you know, where do you see the sharing economy as a whole in the next five or, or 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. The vision for us is not to stick to car sharing, but rather just become and evolve into a, a shared mobility platform. So I think if you envision, and, I, and this might sound weird, if you envision a Netflix for transportation in which you open up the platform, you open up the app, and all of a sudden you have access to all these different forms of transportation. And so what we want to do is we see that there's so many different forms of transportation coming out. So what I mean, you you have car sharing, you have bike sharing, you have scooters, you have ride hailing, you have public transit and all that. Eventually, we'd like to get to the point where we can get all these different services and offer them from Lula, just one single platform and go to the bike companies and say, by creating more options for the user, we actually increase usage and we're able to lower prices. And so transportation options for them all of a sudden become more affordable. We have so many options for them that it becomes more convenient. And then at the same time, these forms of transportation typically are sustainable. So there's a sustainable, there's a sustainable component to it. It's more than just car sharing. We see ourselves offering a, a multitude of services 
in terms of where we see the sharing economy as a whole, I'm pretty optimistic overall. But I look at I look at where we are right now in terms of society. And I think that if you look at climate change and if you look at just the fact that the human population is growing at a rapid rate and, and our cities are becoming more congested and, and saturated, I think that if we don't do things, if we don't evolve and, and change our ways in the near future, things may go a bit off the wall. And so I think that sh- the shared economy has the ability to, to make a lot of impact in a positive manner. So as it pertains to car, as it pertains to transportation, right now the streets are more congested than ever. We have, yes, we have a lot of electric vehicles, but the emissions that are being released are almost more than ever. Shared mobility and the shared economy has the ability to combat this and make a proper adjustment. So it has the ability to take cars off the road. It has the ability to make transportation more affordable. It has the ability to to lower housing prices. And so the sharing economy, I really do think, is going to start playing a bigger role in our daily lives. I really do think governments are going to start backing it and wanting to work with these companies in a much more heavy capacity. I think the sharing economy is something that we can't hide from. It's just going to come in and it offers so many benefits and it has such a positive impact that it's just going to it's going to start playing a huge, huge factor, not only in our lives, but by the time our kids are by the time we all have kids, they're going to be they're going to have grown up with it. It's going to be normal to them. It's going to be such an integral part of their lives. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think, you know, I think sharing and utilizing resources effectively is going to be a defining uh, task that, that, you know, all of, all of humankind is going to have to face coming up, you know, and it's when people think about it, it's difficult. You know, you, you have your, just talking about transportation, you have a car, you want to use your car, you don't always want to use your car but you don't want to lend it out to someone and then not have it when you need it. So companies like Lula, you know, what you guys are doing is really important. You know, you're solving the logistical challenge of giving things or letting other people use what you have when you don't need it. And if, you know, if if it fits that system perfectly, you have your car or your whatever when you do need it and someone else is using it and you're making money when you don't need it. You know, it creates this great ecosystem where not everyone needs to have a vehicle. You know, not everyone needs to have everything. We can all share it. And, you know, these resources can be used effectively. And and it really depends on, you know, people going out there and starting these businesses that are really able to to tackle these challenges, which which aren't easy. Um, so I, I think that's awesome. And, you know, overall, I, I really, you know, on a personal level, I really like this this company. I've, I've always, you know thought, you know, being able to just borrow something when you need it, or maybe lend something out when you need it is super, super cool. And, you know, I wish we kind of had this on, on my campus was when I was a student. So um, overall, I, I'm just really excited to to learn a little bit more about this and to see Lula grow and, um, and kind of expand to to many campuses. And, and I think obviously, you guys are going to be, you know, transitioning uh, from just campuses to maybe cities and, and outside of colleges, right? Yeah. So another thing that just quickly, I'd like to touch up on is is kind of to drill down on my point. When you think about, I don't know if you ever took an economics course, but one of the things that they teach us in economics is that things are scarce. And so there's a finite amount of everything. And so from an economics perspective, you look at things and you're like, everything is scarce, everything is limited, it's finite. And that's all true. But the sharing economy, what it unlocks is what we call excess capacity, uh, excess capacity. And what I mean by that is it's 
just the most simple thing. Just go into your next time you're driving in traffic. Look at the cars around you. Look how many people are the only person in their car, and they have three, four exactly. available. That's just the most basic of it. That's just the ma- most basic component. There's just so much extra space all around us. If you look, if you look at apartment buildings, if you look at office buildings, typically there's empty space there. There's empty rooms there. How and in the sharing economy, what it says is we're gonna get that asset and we're going to better utilize it, um, and we're gonna make better use of it, and we're gonna get higher usage rates. So you're gonna get more out of that asset. And I think right now we're living in a world where things are becoming increasingly expensive. You have students like yourself and myself. I, I'm not sure if you have student loans, but I have student loans. And so you're dealing with student loans, car payments, housing payments. And so if you have a platform that all of a sudden grants you access to these assets, then you don't need to pay the monthly membership or the monthly fees and whatnot. Why wouldn't you do it? And so I think that's why it's playing such a big role. Um, and then, I'm sorry, what was your your, your question? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the question was, I, you guys are mainly focused around campuses yeah. right now. Uh, you know, college campuses. Do you think this is going to be something that probably going to expand to to other areas? Right. Yeah, that's definitely a goal of ours. Right now, about eighty five percent of the users on the platform are college students, and so there is a small percentage of people that are kind of out of college or have just graduated college. But we do, we really do want to get into the cities. We really do want to get into the. We really do want to expand outside of college campuses. We see a huge opportunity there. Gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome. And and to kind of solidify again what you were saying, when you really look around, you see how many resources are being wasted, and and the sharing economy and just effective logistics are you know are the solution to to these problems. So it's super exciting to see companies really stepping in to make sure that things are being used as as efficiently as possible. Because, you know, people say, you know, places are overcrowded. They don't really have to be overcrowded. They're overcrowded because of the way the status quo is being run. You know, if you make sure every car is filled, every building is filled, uh, bikes are, you know, uh, you know, on bike lanes and things like that, buses are filled, trains, there isn't really that much over overcrowdedness mm-hmm. because there isn't that much waste. So it's, it's a super interesting um, field and, and just kind of, a high level uh, understanding of, of the way the world is going to be moving on, you know, as we as we progress through the 21st century. And for everyone out there listening, the, the company is Lula, download the app, definitely check it out, see if it's on a college campus near you. And awesome, Michael, thanks so much for, for taking the time to, to talk with us today. Ben, no problem. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Take care. All right, bye. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it if you think the lessons were valuable. Stay tuned for more episodes and till next time.